Imagine walking through the evening streets of first-century Jerusalem at the end of a very long day. Family, work, scheduling, bills, the humdrum things of life, all of it swirls in your mind and heart like an atmosphere of anxiety. The people around you in the streets, the mothers and fathers trying to get their children in for dinner, the workers going home. Everyone is wearing the same sort of look. They look as if the facts and matters of life, the human condition as it were, is grinding them down to a great nothingness day by day. You yourself just trying to get yourself home, have a little dinner, enjoy some relaxation, and then get up and do it all over again tomorrow? (sighs) You are the perfect study for the interiority of humankind. So, what is it you are really feeling? Well, you feel as if your life bears little meaning beyond these day-by-day repetitive things you're always doing all the time. You feel uncertain, worried, anxious for your or your family's future, even at times a great deal of fear. Oftentimes, and even paradoxically, when you're with people, you feel a great estrangement from people. You feel small, unnoticed, and unnoticeable, unseen, and this is most particularly with reference to God. You feel harassed by the brokenness all around you, by the news every single day that people everywhere are desperately at odds with one another. You feel, and this fundamentally may be the feeling of all the feelings, like it will all never let up. (sighs) Can you feel that? Well, right then, right in the moment of such earnest, even painful self-reflection, you happen to be passing by the high priest's palace near the temple. Suddenly, the high, polished metalwork gates open noisily. You and the others in the street turn to look over. You see the temple guardsmen walking out brusquely authoritative. Behind them trail a group of Ten or twelve men. These men then nod at the guardsmen warmly as they pass them by. They walk on over, onto this, the torch-lit edge of the street as a group just beyond you. You and the other passers-by are startled by what you see. You realize that all of these men are stripped to the waist, bloody-backed, that there are cuts and welts and bruises all over their shoulders, necks, even around to their chests. Yet even more startling is the burning in their eyes, (laughs) the smile on their lips, the song they start to raise with their hands lofting skyward. Jesus, Jesus, How we love you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how we love you, Jesus. The sound of those voices singing 
echoes along the streets as they disappear off. It wafts along with them. It lingers in the nighttime air. As the scriptures say of this moment, in Acts 5, 41 and 42, the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Well, friends, I want to put this before you. Imagine that that is all you saw, all you know of the kingdom of heaven for just those few moments out in that street. What do you now know? (laughs) What have you seen? What have you experienced? My friends, people who are full of joy that they have been considered worthy to bear humiliation for the sake of the name are people undefeatable. Their joy is contagious, or at the very least, arouses the highest form of curiosity in its bystanders or by viewers. Such a sense of worthiness presupposes that no other of the world's offerings of worth will ever satisfy or even tempt them. Hearts unembarrassable that delight in completing the sufferings of Jesus in their own cannot be tamed by anything. This joy, this seeking out of a higher worthiness, this unhumiliated gathering of hungry hearts was the secret of those possessed by the glory of the name. And the name of that name is Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Jenny got to speak at a local mops group that's mothers of preschoolers, if you don't happen to know that. And this was at a big downtown church here. The topic they assigned her was grief, which of course is a lot of fun to talk about. But I will say that the couple of weeks before she spoke led us into all kinds of conversation, deeper ponderings on the meaning of our struggles, trials, pains. In essence, knowing Jesus, what is the purpose of all this? What is he attempting to do in and through us when we suffer? And what if and I'm 100% aware that this may not be a popular conclusion, but what if every single thing in our lives, every moment, every day, has come to us for the purposes of our betterment and His glory? What if nothing is a waste and nothing will be wasted? What if the people around you, desperate to see that there's something higher and better than human normalcy, Get to watch you go through it all and delight yourself even yet. This, friends, is the highest kind of testimony that I'm talking about here. And frankly, it's our opportunity all the time. So to close out, this is kind of a short episode, but that's all right. I want to read to you something I've prepared for you. It's a 
personalized, first-person rendering of the words of Hebrews 12. And if you remember this section, it's right after the writer of Hebrews has just defined faith through past people's lives, and after he or she has written of being, quote, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and of, quote, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So in light of the reality of suffering and in remembering those brothers from Acts 5 that we pictured on the streets of Jerusalem, I want you to just still yourself and listen to this. And again, I've put this into that first person context. So it's really ours. My own fight against sin has not yet yet meant the shedding of blood. And sometimes I lose sight of that piece of advice, which reminds me of my sonship in God. My son, do not seek to escape the Lord's shaping of you, nor get discouraged when he rebukes you. For he chastens the one who he loves and disciplines every son who belongs to him. I must view my sufferings as shaping, as discipline, as the Lord's dealing with me as a son of his. No true son could ever come up in his household without correction. For if I was uncorrected, not treated like one of his children, it would be reasonable to wonder if I really was one of his sons. After all, when I was a child, I had a fleshly father who corrected me, disciplined me, and I respected him for it. Can I not? all the more be ready to receive the discipline of my heavenly Father now and thus learn how to live? For my earthly father used to discipline me according to his own ideas throughout the fleeting days of my childhood. But the Lord is correcting me every single day for my own benefit to teach me about his holiness. And while, obviously, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It is, in fact, most unpleasant. Yet when it is over, I will see that it has quietly produced the fruit of real goodness in my character. This assumes, of course, that I have accepted it in the right spirit. So today, take a fresh grip on life and buck up, O trembling spirit, Don't wander away from the path, but forge onward, steadily onward. On this way of life, the limping foot is given strength. The wayward heart is set aright. The inner man will never collapse. My friend, as you listen to me intone those words, again from Hebrews 12, what are you hearing? And what? no matter what you and I are going through, is the call of God to his sons and daughters. If you have a moment this week, drop me a line. I would love to hear what you're hearing as you listen to those words. Thanks for being with me on this episode.